You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Um, For those of you that are new, my name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor, founding pastor. Great to have you with us this morning. Um, If you're not connected to a group, I want to encourage you to do that, Uh, especially in Anthem. We have a a need for a new uh, home to open up. Uh, The the church is growing and we need to uh, get more leaders. So if you're interested in serving as a community group uh, leader, we would love for you to be able to do that. Um, You can see Pastor Joshua after service at the Connection Corner. Um, this morning, uh, what I'm going to be doing is going to be uh, teaching specifically on what it looks like to be a loving husband. Uh, I'll do the best. I'll tell you the areas I haven't done a great job. Uh, we'll look at the uh, scripture. We're going back to Ephesians, and we're in this teaching series called Unapologetic Truth about uh, marriage and parenting. If you missed last week, I want to encourage you to do that. It was a very rare opportunity. Uh, Leslie joined me on stage. Uh, she does that a couple times a year. And she did a fantastic job. Can we thank her for doing that? She, <laughs> I had her read a book, and then <laughs> uh, we worked really hard on that together. She put in probably 15 to, to 20 hours uh, just for her little 15, 20-minute section. So just so you know, we're lifelong learners, and every time I get up to preach, even in a half hour, I'm dedicating at least 15 hours of study and prep to make sure that we deliver really good content for you guys uh, and gals. And so um, what I want to encourage you to for maybe questions that are arising during this series or um, more things that you want to dialogue about or have more of a conversation on, you can join me on my Facebook page this week. I'm launching a show called, uh, relaunching a show called Real Life with Ryan and uh, where I'm dealing with current events Um, I'm speaking more on behalf of my personal convictions. Yes, I serve as a pastor at the church, but some of the topics perhaps will even be more controversial on that Real Life with Ryan show uh, as culture is controversial, okay? Uh, If you want to be a Christian, you're going to just be controversial, amen? Okay, so I want to encourage you to check that out. I've already, um, I had to relearn how to accept friend requests. How how terrible is that? I have some 2,000 friends on Facebook, but yes, I still struggle how to even accept friends on Facebook. So those of you that I've ignored, I do apologize. I am technically challenged. So there we go. Um, ask, you can, do, you can go to ryanrice.org or .com. I can't remember which one it is. We created a little website, but you'll figure it out. There you go again. Uh, if there's a bad guy <laughs> that doesn't look like me, don't go there, okay? Uh, Anyway, speaking of looks, man, I'm 40-something years old now. I'll just say that, and things change, you know. I, I had a friend of mine who was a barber uh, over at V's Barbershop told me how he's, like, you know, changing, and he's, like, 30-something. I said, bro, wait till you hit 40. I'm like, you have no idea. Um, with marriage, there's a lot of changes that comes in the relationship. Um, physically, uh, your body changes. Emotionally, spiritually, there's changes. Physically, for me, I remember I went to the barber shop and I started noticing like I'm going bald up top. And, and that is frustrating. I like hair, okay? So I will go bald one day, but I like my hair. I don't know if you like your hair, but I like my hair. 
And so I'm at the barber shop feeling a little insecure, and I ask a statement to the barber, and barbers are paid to like affirm you to make sure you, you feel good. And so I say to him, I say, uh, I feel like I'm going bald up top. I said, does it, how bad does it look? Uh, the barber put their hands on my shoulders, looked at me in the mirror and looked at my face in the mirror and said, stand tall, Ryan, stand tall. <laughs> I knew what that meant. And I said, I will, I'll stand tall. <laughs> Uh, in marriage, you got a lot of changes that come your way, and so today what we're going to be doing is looking at a classic passage, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. I want to bring up cultural issues that are combating marriage as well. I want to help you understand the scriptures and give you some five unapologetic truths about uh, what it means to be a husband according to the Bible. Next week, I'm going to deal with parenting. I'm going to look at the traditional role from the Bible about fatherhood and motherhood. Um, the following week, Labor Day weekend, I'm going to do kids in a crazy culture, and uh, we're going to go after that. So again, uh, if you miss some of these things, catch the Real Life with Ryan uh, show that we'll be doing on Facebook Live that's intended to serve you, and if you've got questions and I can pray for you, I, I want to do that. Um, so speaking about culture, I just read an article uh, just earlier this morning, and it was uh, the title of it uh, was when your spouse comes out gay and leaves you. Um, I found that pretty interesting. I found what I found really shocking uh, was that they did research and said that the number of adult uh, married couples that leave the marriage and, uh, um, for a same-sex relationship has doubled in the last 10 years. Um, we typically think of uh, the gay transgender movement predominantly within youth, but it is a very big issue even among adults. Uh, additional research says that 50% of all marriages in America today will end in divorce. Um, if you've been through divorce, you know how painful that is. Um, I was thinking about it. If um, Toyota or Ford or any of these major companies had 50% of their vehicles going out into the marketplace and then falling apart very early on in the life of that vehicle, they would do the work to figure out to change those statistics. The challenge is, is that in a social institution such as marriage, it is very difficult to create the changes needed to build a marriage that serves for an entire lifetime. Um, but it's not all that difficult as well. All we need to do is look to the Bible. Uh, we need to have an, a ruthless commitment to the authority of God's Word and put the culture uh, to silence and look first to the Word, and then inform the culture. You as Christians are supposed to be uh, counter-cultural. And so the marriage traditional values that I teach are not traditional by culture. They're traditional, uh, well, sure they are by culture in some regard, uh, but they're traditional because of their ancient, their historical, rooted in the authoritative Word of God and how civilizations are built and families are built according to the Word of God. It's true from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so Paul will echo even some of the very foundational ideas about marriage 
in today's text that we will look at. He is writing to the church in uh, Ephesus. He's writing to believers. He's trying to help them to live out their identity, which today's time, we have an identity crisis for all sorts of people, young people, old people, uh, very confused on who they are, uh, and the culture is pushing a confusion. And the church is oftentimes far too silent about the importance of understanding your identity. Men, you have some roles to fill. Um, in manhood, you can aspire to an incredible office or, or, or title of husband. It is a powerful, sacred role that you hold, that you emulate Jesus Christ. And furthermore, from that, you can move forward and you can move into fatherhood. These are powerful, godly, good, good, sacred institutions uh, for the husband um, as they are for the wife. There is uh, the woman can move into the wife role and into the motherhood role. So let's look at the scripture, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. It says this, uh, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his, himself its Savior. Uh, last week, I taught on uh, the biblical uh, calling of submission for the wife. Uh, it's a divine calling. Um, it's as to the Lord. Notice that. It's a sacred calling for a wife to her husband. Uh, not to just anybody and everybody, although submission ought to be all throughout the Christian faith. We submit to governing authorities according to 1 Peter, according to Romans 13. But this is a unique submission in the sense of affirming the institution of marriage. Paul writes, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Leslie did a fantastic job illustrating that last week. Um, verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Again, a lot of questions could arise out of this text. That's where I'd encourage you. If you have questions, you can send them to me. Love to help you respond to that. We did answer a lot of that last week. Uh, Paul goes on, verse 25, and we're going to see three different kinds of love that he will illustrate uh, for the husband the role and the responsibility of a husband to be loving. The first one is in verse 25. I'm going to call it sacrificial love. Uh, this isn't in your outline or, or your notes, but uh, I want to highlight it to you just in Scripture as I'm reading through this. Um, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's a sacrificial kind of love that every husband is to provide. This looks like uh, seeking her needs above your own needs. So men, you're not called to think of yourself first. You're called to think of your wife first. Um, I think sacrifice uh, should include uh, even financial sacrifice. Uh, and when you're building a budget and when you think about your wife, uh, does she have a budget authority uh, to make decisions uh, uh, does she have priority, perhaps even in the vehicle she drives, uh, the vacations that you go on? There should be a sacrificial mindset of the husband not seeking his own glory, but the glory of God in emulating uh, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, somebody said to me, um, I do not like how wives have to submit to their husbands. 
And I said, yeah, I can imagine that's hard. Well, I don't like how a husband is supposed to die for his wife. Uh, And if I had to choose between dying or submitting, I'd probably submit. And uh, so I need you to know that, ladies and gentlemen, the call of a husband is like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for the church. Uh, He gave himself up for the church. Uh, He endured all sorts of suffering and beating unjustly. Uh, This emulates what a, a loving husband should be like. He should be able to go through a beating and still be a blessing. And um, this is the call of the husband. It's a very high calling. Uh, It's a call of headship. That's a sacrificial love. Verse 26, I think, shows a cleansing kind of love. The Apostle Paul says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. This is much like Jesus Christ uh, cleanses and purifies his bride, the church. So the husband's supposed to have some kind of spiritual impact on his wife. Uh, some of you are, are married to unbelievers, and this is, doesn't happen. It doesn't mean you should leave your unbelieving husband. The Bible says that you shouldn't do that. But this is the pattern. This is the role that the husband's supposed to help cleanse and edify his wife. Uh, I think of a a terrible example of where a husband was allowing defilement and dirtiness into the marriage. Um, There was a talk show show where there was two ministers uh, or two Christians, and they were in some kind of form of ministry or or whatnot, and uh, they were talking about the, uh, 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 the intimacy in marriage, the physical intimacy. And somehow it got on the topic of... uh, magazines, uh, Playboy, uh, Hustler, and all these other things. And the talk show host says to one of them, uh, what do you think about this stuff? And the gentleman said, I think it's terrible. I I think it's uh, a shame and it's dishonoring uh, for the man and for the woman and it's terrible. And then the talk show host says, what about you, sir? And he said, well, I think it's actually really helpful for our marriage. Uh, my wife uh, subscribed me to some of these uh, magazines, and it really spiced up our, our, our uh, intimate life uh, about 18 years into our marriage, and I think it really, really helps us a lot. That's an example of defiling the marriage. The husband is not leading. The husband is uh, bowing down to cultural advice and defiling and dirtying everything sacred in the marriage. Um, Husbands are called to an incredibly high standard to bring cleanliness, to bring order, to bring affirmation and encouragement and strength. They should help edify, model what it looks like for repentance, model what it looks like for godliness. This is the cleansing kind of love the Apostle Paul is talking about. Jesus Christ does not dirty up his bride, the church. Jesus Christ cleanses the bride. And so the same kind of love is needed for the husband to provide for the wife. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28 signifies a caring kind of love. Verse 28, uh, let's look at that. It says this, it's a caring kind of love. In the same ways, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
he who loves his wife loves himself. Jesus is the perfect example of caring for uh, his bride. Uh, He nurtures, he cares, he provides. He is the greatest example. Husbands are supposed to love their wives in a caring way as you care for yourself. You dress up, you look good, you brush your hair, you brush your teeth, hopefully, and then, and I know most of you do not wash your hands until COVID-19 hit. I've been to plenty of the Cardinal Stadium games. I'm sorry, ladies, to inform you, they did not wash their hands. I I would grab my son and say, you see that? (laughs) How many men do not wash their hands? Uh, But you should be caring for yourself, uh, gentlemen. This is implied, and you should care for your bride. And we'll get to how that looks like on an emotional level uh, here in just a minute. So there is a sacrificial love, a cleansing love, in verse 28, a caring love. And let's look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, uh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as, Christ, just, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Um, Jesus Christ cares for the members of his body. He is the head, and so he cares for the church. Jesus cares far more about this church than you do. He cares far more about this church than I do. He's a great example for a husband on caring kind of love. Verse 31, there is a covenantal love. This is the idea of the permanency of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, The Greek word for cleave or hold fast is paskalo, and it means to uh, be glued to, to be fused to, or to be cemented to. It's the idea that in marriage, Uh, you are to come together with a covenantal kind of love, an unbreakable, unshakable, permanent kind of love. Words like divorce should not occur. Uh, When they do, those are out of line and out of character for the Christian husband or the Christian wife. Um, God has affirmed uh, the institution of marriage in the Old Testament, the New Testament, despite, uh, and he affirms as well, between one man and one woman, um, despite many of what I would call progressive Christians who basically eradicate all of the authority of Scripture as it comes to the Pauline uh, letters, all the letters written by the Apostle Paul, most folks that are moving towards justifying LGBTQ or anything like that will say all of the Apostle Paul's teaching should be thrown out, The Gospels should be upheld, and this is a great proof text to remind them that Jesus himself affirmed the idea of marriage. He quotes this, the Apostle Paul quotes this, and they're quoting from Moses. Um, That marriage is a permanent institution, it should be. It's between one man and one woman, and it's a covenantal kind of love. The motivation for this in verse 32, this is where we find the husband's motivation should be a mystery. It's a mystery about the, the, the uh, love of Jesus Christ to his church, and you get to model that, men. Verse 32, the Paul says, uh, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I think there's two kinds of marriages that we see uh, uh, in culture and or uh, in Christianity. 
Um, I would say the first is the gospel marriage. This gospel marriage is the one that should be emulated. Um, we've got a slide, I think, for that. Um, the gospel marriage is this, is that it loves and respects unconditionally. This is what you should do in your marriage. You provide love even when the person doesn't deserve it. You provide respect even when the person doesn't deserve it. This is a Jesus-like kind of love and respect. This is a mystery between Christ and the church. This is gospel, good news kinds of marriages. Amen? You, you need this in your marriage. You need to be unconditionally respected. Even when you don't deserve respect, you need respect. And even when you do something wrong or your spouse does something wrong, you can respectfully confront, disagree, and, and say, this is wrong. Um, and you can lovingly do that even when they're not lovingly uh, behaving. But most marriages tend and trend towards what I call good works marriages. This is anti-Bible. This is anti-gospel. Uh, good works marriages are the idea where uh, love and respect are earned and therefore conditional. So it's, it's very conditional. I love you. I show you love if you respect me. Uh, I'm available for you. I want to be intimate with you if you behave really well. And then there's bargaining going on in the marriage relationship. That is not biblical. That, that's not how a gospel marriage works. A gospel marriage works like you don't deserve this, but I love you anyway and I will serve you. Um, I'm really hurt by what you said and I'd like to deal with that. I think it was wrong and it shouldn't happen. But I do care for you and I do respect. I want to be respectful. Uh, sometimes maybe, ladies, your husbands are not, uh, they, you know, in your mind, they do not earn the respect that you think uh, the Bible calls for. Well, maybe you can just choose to be and say, I will be a respectful person to everybody I meet, including and especially my husband. Does that make sense? You can be a very respectful person and still fulfill your role as a wife. Husbands, you have to be, you're called to, to be loving to your spouse all the time. Even if you feel like that your wife did not uh, earn your love and affection, uh, they shouldn't have to. It's not a, a good works marriage. It's something you provide unconditionally. Remember, your model is Jesus Christ. Reviewing the terms, uh, here it is, headship. For men, for those of you uh, that are married, the title is headship. This is the role that you fulfill the divine calling. Headship is a divine calling for a husband to provide unconditional love for his wife. Headship. This is a very powerful foundational truth for how good marriages work. A divine calling unto the Lord. Jesus Christ is your example. Um, Here's what uh, one pastor said about headship. This is Ray Ortland. He said, my wife, and, my wife Janie and I are joint heirs together of the grace of life. And he's quoting from a, a passage in Peter, which marriage is referred to the grace of life, which I love. I also have the privilege of serving uh, her as the head of the home. That's the headship role. So how do I know when my service as head is on target? It seems to me that 
I, it seems to me that I have not properly listened to my wife until she feels listened to. I have not properly understood my wife until she feels understood. I have not properly cared for my wife until she feels cared for, and so on. So as we negotiate the challenges of everyday life, uh, alert uh, uh, everyday life, alert attention to my wife's feelings teaches me how to conduct myself towards her so that my leadership, my headship truly translate into a blessing for my wife. She deserves it. Isn't that good? Some of you want to clap. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the pattern that you need to be thinking about. And ladies, for this submission, like most of you ladies would go, well, I could submit to that. That sounds great. Um, husbands, live up to that. Um, this is your calling. Um, we've reviewed uh, submission last week, but I'll mention it again. Um, this is how headship and works with submission. Submission is the divine calling for a wife to provide unconditional respect for her husband. Um, this is, can be a very difficult world, uh, word in today's times, but it is a very godly, a very biblical word that we need to wrestle with. The theological category in reviewing terms is what I have taught at this church. It's called complementarianism. It's the idea that you're intended to complement one another. This idea affirms both the husband and the wife are equal in their values. Please hear me in that. You're absolutely equal, loved, and cherished by God equally, uh, yet they are different in their roles at home, at church, and at work. Uh, next week, I'll deal with uh, fathers and mothers and some of those differences. Um, and then in the following week, I'll deal with kids and culture. So what are some unapologetic truths about the husband. Number one, I would say this, is husbands will all struggle. Uh, you need to understand that there is no perfect man out there. Ladies, um, this should hopefully encourage you to know that I am saying there is not any man out there that is not going to struggle. He's going to have three significant struggles. One is with sin, the other one is with self, and the last one is with Satan. And the sinful side is just uh, every person is born into sin. Men will either tend and trend towards two areas in the role of headship that is very uh, dangerous. One is the over-domineering headship where they're kind of pushy and rude. Or the other flip side extreme is more the passive side, just doesn't do anything. And both are really hard to respect because... He should not be passive, and then he should not be domineering and overbearing. What he's supposed to be is a kind, loving, gentle husband who cares for his wife, but is still strong and masculine. Um, so, um, first of all, men, I know that you struggle. I struggle. I can be rude and disrespectful. The other day, we did a um, uh, staff Bible study, and uh, we were doing on the loving husband, and I asked the ladies in the room, I said, what would you say is the number one way that your husband shows love to you? And because Joshua was making jabs at me the other day, I said, Kaylee, let's start with you. Let's tell us about Joshua, you know. Uh, no, but we, we talked, and we had the ladies share, and it was really interesting. They, they all said is that I want to be heard, I want to be affirmed. I want to know my voice matters. I want buy-in. And um, 
what can happen is because of sin, men, is that you can act like you know all the answers. Or on the flip side over here, you're actually so afraid to lead in your role, you don't say anything. And so there is a sin issue that is in all men. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, it just says men will, in the end days, will be lovers of themselves. They'll be greedy, pursuing all sorts of ungodliness. And there is a, a, just a curse on manhood that, that is a struggle to either be overly dominant or incredibly passive. And in today's culture, we have a very feminized male that is very... Uh, 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 passive in nature. Uh, we're to be assertive and uh, strong in our leadership. Um, the struggle is with self. Everybody has weaknesses, and our struggle is with Satan. Satan is against you, man. He is against your marriage. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants you to be a statistic. He wants you to be a fallout. He does not want you to model Jesus Christ. He wants you to live for yourself. And Satan is against you in, his, in the marriage. If you look at Ephesians and you see the Apostle Paul's teaching, he teaches on the husband and the wife, and then he teaches with kids and families, and then he teaches on spiritual warfare. Because it's a part of, like, the Christian life. Um, I think there's a lot of demonic attack on the family, on the institution of marriage right now in American culture. It is absolutely demonic. Um, recently, I, I, I heard, I saw evidence of teachers that were requiring students to name their pronouns. Um, to me, this is demonic because you can identify, a student could go in and call me a they or them. Um, there's nothing good and godly about that at all. What is a they and them? Uh, that's even wrong grammar. There's no correct grammar in that. And what I think of in the they or them, to be honest with you, as a person who studies the Bible a lot, I think of demon possession oftentimes is what happens is usually there's one, two, or three, or four demonic influences in a person's life. And so when Jesus casts out a demon in one scene, they, uh, they kind of uh, respond in unison and they say, say, there's many of us. I'm very concerned about the spiritual attack on the marriage. I'm very concerned about the demonic influences that are going on. I think you should be too. Um, number two, husbands ought to look more like Jesus Christ over time. This means that there should be an active work of you, uh, you growing in your godliness and your goodness. Um, ladies, this gives you hope that your husband is perhaps a late bloomer in the spiritual department. Um, this is okay. Um, he needs to be growing, though. And where there's evidences of growth that you should applaud, affirm, encourage, and say, thank you for that. I see that. I'm praying for you. Um, husbands... Uh, but you must be growing like Jesus Christ. Your pattern and picture for what it looks like to be a good man is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the head of the <clears throat> church. You're the head of the home. It, it, the, the, the health of your marriage, the health of your family rises and falls, I would say, on you. And you say, well, why would you do that? I would say because if you look at the Bible, when you look at Adam and Eve and when the marriage got dysfunctional, even though Eve suggests the forbidden fruit to Adam, <clears throat> uh, God does business with Adam. 
Uh, even though Eve suggested it, Adam consented to it. Later in the book of Romans, when the Apostle Paul talks about the grand old story of how sin entered the world, he paraphrases and says it like this. Sin, it entered through the world through one man. He did not say one woman. He did not say Eve did it. He said one man. I think the, the health of the home, the health of the marriage, the health of the family rises and falls, I would say, on your watch. You got dysfunctional kids. I think if God is to come down in the flesh, he's saying, where's the man of the house? What's going on here? This is the high and holy calling. This, this is the hard part. Who's responsible for the church? Jesus. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. He's taking care of the church. Are you taking care of your family? Um, we ought to look more and more like Jesus over time. Um, number three, husbands are called to be protectors. All throughout the scripture, you get this idea that husbands are to be protectors. Um, they're supposed to protect in three different ways. I would say physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, physically, you're, you should be a protector. If you're out camping, you're in the tent, you hear roar, a bear, you should not nudge your wife and go, go get it, baby. I'm scared. That should not be you. That's pretty bad. Or you hear something in the middle of the house. Oh, honey, what is it? I don't know. You're the man. I mean, when a sink goes shit, uh, when a when a ship is sinking, you don't hear. Every man, take the lifeboats first. Leave the women and children. Like no, there's a call. Women and children, please get in the boats. The sink is shipping. The sink is shipping. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're with me. That's good. Uh, the ship is sinking. But you're supposed to be that, man. And some of you don't feel masculine enough because you have a small frame. You're not strong. You don't work out. You're not healthy. I would say do what you can to be physically strong. Go pick up the groceries. Go move the furniture. Provide for your wife that strength and encouragement. I do think there is an importance even with, and this is a whole other conversation, but I think in, even in the right to bear arms and to be a protector and think about your family like that for those of you that do concealed carry, uh, that is not a power play in my mind. That is actually a protector role. Many of the police officers that I meet, they have this innate desire to provide safety for their community. They care and they want a safe and good community. And they should be applauded by that because they're affirming a protector role in society. And husbands, you're to do that. You're, somebody mouths off at your daughter, mouths off at your wife. Go ahead. Be the controversial North Valley uh, church member that got into a fight protecting your wife or your kiddo. I had somebody uh, call me the other day and said, hey, I almost got into a fist fight with this guy. My daughter's driving down the road. Some jerk is, drives over and then he cuts in front of my daughter, gets out and starts yelling at her to, his, to her face. I see it. I drive up. I get out and go, what are you doing? That is my daughter. And the guy's like, oh. He's like, dude, I bowed up like Cobra style. I was like, that a way to go, buddy. 
You showed your daughter you're the protector. You need to protect physically. You need to protect emotionally. This means, men, that uh, your wife could uh, just be a, a lover of people and gets involved in relationships that are toxic or, t- or painful. Maybe this is your advice and encouragement to say, uh, we need to distance ourselves from this relationship because emotionally it's wearing you out. Or maybe it's uh, a kid's that are just exhausting you, ladies, um, men, this could be your role to protect emotionally and say, hey, look, you know what? Junior, you're wearing out your mom. You're just exhausting us, especially her. You're being disrespectful. Time out. Go to your room. And so you're protecting emotionally. You need to encourage self-care. Perhaps you're protecting her emotionally from projects that she may want to get involved in. And you say something like, hey, I'd love for you to do that, but I don't want you to be worn out emotionally and be discouraged and struggle. Um, I want you to be healthy emotionally. Um, Encouraging self-care looks like, I think that's a protector role. Um, additionally and spiritually. Uh, husbands, you're the ones actually should protecting your family from false doctrine. You're the ones that are supposed to protect and, and ensure that your family is getting a biblical Christian worldview for life. Um, I'm going to teach a series on Christian worldview. It is so important to understand uh, the origins of life, the purpose of life, what we're here for, what's the world about, but you're responsible husbands to lead and protect spiritually, protecting against uh, uh, false ideologies, protecting against uh, false narratives, cultural um, pluralism, uh, just a, a, a erosion of morals and ethics in the home. Um, men, you're to protect as well for by praying for your wife spiritually, protecting her perhaps from burnout as well. And then uh, number four, I would say this, is that uh, you are to be the, the provider. Husbands are called to be the providers. And this happens in three, three different ways. These are critical needs of every wife. Is first, that you're providing financially. Second, that you'd be providing um, spiritually. And third, emotionally. Um, financially, it's, it's very uh, clear the Bible uh, challenges and pushes the man to provide for the needs of his household, his family, and his relatives. Um, in today's culture, there are many uh, dual household incomes. Um, the caution and concern behind that is that the biblical data, the biblical uh, word tells us that the husband's primary responsibility is to ensure that financial provision is provided so that when a wife has a child, the children can be cared for, nurtured, and uh, brought up to, to love the Lord and be a healthy individual. That's where the biblical support is. There's a lot of question and dialogue on, well, can a wife do this or can a husband do that? And what if the wife earns more? At the bottom line, men, what I'm telling you is you should seek a good income. Uh, you should provide for your family. You need to make sure big uh, needs like security are met within your wife. Your wife wants to ask, uh, wants to know, are we secure? Uh, Are we doing the right thing? Is there retirement? Is there insurance? Is there life insurance? Is there health insurance? Uh, What does that look like? And so as men, uh, you're charged with this responsibility. I found it very interesting. Brad Wilcox is a... um, 
sociology professor from the University of Virginia. He's got a bunch of great material out on research and statistics for marriage. Um, much of the research I feel like you see in the, in the news and the media is not an accurate picture. Um, but Brad Wilcox says this about uh, married men. He says, on average, they earn 20% higher, more income than single men. Married men typically uh, volunteer more at church. Married men tend to go to church more. Uh, They get better jobs. And the question is, why? Because there's pressure. Because they know at the end of the day, it's not just about themselves. There's a wife, and now there's kids. So there's a a realistic, natural reality like, I should do something. Uh, Oftentimes when the kids move out or uh, uh, the the marriage goes through a divorce and the man is single, do you know oftentimes that man takes pay cuts and does less and plays more? Um, Single men, no offense, I'm just saying statistically you visit the bars more you play more, you have a huge out-to-eat budget, and you do kind of what you want to do. Uh, married men, you're challenged with this. You should model what it looks like in stewardship. What does it look like to give to the church? What does it look like to tithe? What does it look like to save? What does it look like to spend? And you do not have to be perfect men, but you do need to have the conversation and weigh in with your wife and say, these things matter to me because I know they matter to you and they matter for our family. So you serve as a provider, men. You seek to earn a good income for your family. You negotiate the challenges. If you have two working spouses, um, then you should navigate that very intelligently, look to the scriptures, and see that high calling on raising kids. And the call of motherhood is incredible, and the pressures on fatherhood and being a major provider are really challenging. Um, Proverbs 31 does affirm the idea that the woman is able to work and contribute and still love and lead and do some wonderful things. And ladies, you should emulate that. And men, you're to emulate uh, Jesus Christ. So, um, spiritually speaking, uh, husbands are to be providers. They're supposed to find a good church. They lead by example. They show what it looks like, spiritually speaking, as best as they can, that they care for their family. It's providing leadership. This is a need of the wife, that you provide some level of leadership uh, for the family when it comes to morals, ethics, uh, Christian values, you can do this by being a part of a church. You can do this by modeling what it looks like to, to forgive, to uh, repent, and turn from sin. Um, you can do this spiritually <clears throat> by when your marriage goes through a difficult time, you say, we need to get help. 90% of all counseling appointments are set by women. Why is that? Because I told you from the very beginning when God made Eve, Eve showed up on earth and she sees a man. When Adam was created, he was made by God out of the dirt. I told you guys we're a lot of dirt bags. Made with the dirt and then we're there and we're put alone in the garden to work. Our default is things more than people. Ladies' default is people more than things. And so... But I'm telling you, men, be uh, counterintuitive 
and you say, we need to get help, we need to get counseling, I don't want to give up on our marriage, I want to strengthen our marriage. When there's unhealth, you seek counseling, you get involved in a community group with other Christian friends, you get the whole, ch- the whole family involved in the church. You lead by example. Men, you are the pastors of your home. I'll teach on that uh, more uh, next week, but you, 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 you are a pastor to your home. And then lastly, uh, by providing, uh, every wife needs emotional provision. This looks like open and honest communication. Um, This is probably the hardest, ladies, for your husband. Open and honest communication. Um, So, men, this is how you do it, in my opinion, is you just set a routine and a regular pathway in how to do that. You set like a schedule. Well, we're going to sit down in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening, and we're going to talk just for X amount of minutes, and then after that, it's time to go, you know, uh, because it could go forever. Um, but again, I, I, I read another statistic that said 80% of, of women prefer, listen to this, men, this will help you a lot, 80% of women prefer, listen, emotional connection versus uh, sexual intimacy, of women prefer emotional connection over sexual intimacy. Um, Let me say this to you ladies. 80% of men prefer sexual intimacy over emotional connection. Yeah. So what do you do, man? You act very emotional. You say, how do you feel about that? You say, tell me more. I really care. And then say, I do care, Lord. I do care, right? I do care, yes. Uh, Number one reason for divorce from the wife, the wife usually files for divorce. She says, I was never heard. He did not care. And then guess what? She found somebody else that did. Oh, he's so charming. He's so kind. He's so loving. He affirms me. Guess what? He did. Guess what? He didn't. The husband, when he fails to provide that emotional connection, the wife is going to go find those needs and get them met somewhere. So it is up to you, men, to help meet those emotional needs. Even though in your mind, you're like, well, if we get physically intimate, then the emotions will come. That's the wrong way, guys. Um. How do you do that? I would say maybe you initiate discussions for dates. You get to church as much as you can. Make it a habit. Um, You avoid technology at a date. This is a real practical one. Sometimes I go out and I see a couple at a date, and, like, the guy is just thumbing through, especially during fantasy football season. And he's managing his teams, and he's checking the reports, and he's checking his email, and then says, you want to go on a date later this week? Yeah, what do you want to do? Well, let's go watch a movie. Movies are great, but you never talk to the other spouse. Be careful with technology, men. That is not going to help you engage your wife emotionally. How about you turn off the screen? Many of us, including myself, have a TV by the bed can lay down and just watch all the time, and it's great. And then I can get up, and we can be at the table or something, and I could look at my phone and see the work and see the things that are coming in. 
But emotionally engaging looks like having these boundaries and rhythms that you're engaging emotionally. In closing, I'll tell you this illustration to encourage all of us in marriage. Did you know that when airline pilots take off, they have a flight plan when they leave the airport and they go to a a different uh, airport for landing? They actually have a flight plan. And did you know about 90% of the time while they're on their flight, 90% of the time they are not on their flight plan, meaning they're off a degree or two. They have the exact uh, elevation, the exact altitude all mapped out, perfect. But then things come like rain or storms or turbulence, and it takes them off course. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel news. It's okay. There's no perfect marriages. There's no perfect men out there. There's no perfect uh, man that will be like Jesus, uh, ladies, because Jesus was sinless. So those of you that are single and looking for Jesus, don't look for Jesus. Jesus is in heaven right next to the Father. Um, Those of you men that are looking for the perfect wife, and you're like, you should be the P31 woman, the Proverbs 31 woman. She's perfect. Yes, she is perfect. You're never going to find that wife. You're never going to find that woman. Everybody struggles and nobody's perfect, but we, together we can make an incredible amount of progress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would live it out. I encourage, I encourage Father, as we look at your word and analyze it and uh, enjoy it. Um, we set this time aside to reflect and think about our marriage and how we can grow. And for those of us that are single, perhaps looking at the picture of marriage and saying, um, that looks great, and I want to encourage that and applaud that. And if you have any singles to be married, Lord, I pray that they would pursue that um, and have children and grow families. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks, and have a great day.